previously on Rebel Taxi. Oh, and the animation director for Clay Fighter was Ken Pontek, an animator who also wrote for many other things, including Happy Tree Friends, Mad World, Sonic Colors, Generations, Forces, uh, Boom Rise a Lyric, and he also wrote the lyrics to this song. Do what you want, cause a pirate is free. You are a pirate. That is a goddamn resume right there. Hey, it's the Rebel Taxi Pizza Party podcast, and I, I I shaved my hair, so that's why I uh that's why this is going on. But I'm I Pan like Pizza. Hat. Thanks. Uh, if you remember Ace, he uh, sewed it for uh, me and Niska. Yeah, very I'm, nice. I'm Pan Pizza. Who who's our okay? Who's the regular person that's here usually? I'm Nolan. Um, my glasses are fine. That's all I want to say. And who do we got today? Who's our guest? Ken Pontac. What have you done? Who are you? Oh, get, I don't get have us. A me. I basically did your childhood. Yeah. Oh, um, very nice. Whoa, you're Butch Hartman. You. Okay. Yeah. What? You're are Butch you Hartman. With Butch Hartman for that tagline. <laughs> uh, I've been um, I've been doing this for quite a few years. Um, the first thing I worked on professionally, besides um, some special effects like flying type and stuff like that, selling cars and stuff in the 80s was uh i was the art director for the new adventures of gumby oh yeah oh, yeah it was quite a few years ago yeah and i have not stopped since mm-hmm. you've yeah. done you've done a lot of stop motion work uh bump in the night uh clay fighters you worked on right oh yes yeah uh can you tell us a little bit about uh bump in the night because that's uh probably one of your more prolific shows yeah you co-created right co-created it um my favorite story to tell about that, well, there's two two pieces of it. There's a lot of pieces of it. But mm-hmm. uh, I co-created it with my childhood buddy, David Ichioka, uh, who at that time was named David Blyman. And uh, we've known each other since we were seven years old. So that's part one. Part two is when the show aired on Saturday morning, my mom called me up and she said, Jesus, Ken. You've been drawing that thing since you were seven years old. <laughs> Wait, and like I Mr. Said, Bumpy, you drew him? Like forever ago? Oh, yeah. I've always been drawing. I drew monsters forever. <laughs> uh, and so on the, the day of my greatest triumph, I had to twist a knife in my mom and say, uh, yeah, mom, and you told me to stop drawing monsters when I was a kid and draw something pretty like a flower or a horse. <laughs> and look at me now. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Bump in the Night came from... Uh, the stop motion roots that David and I had started to develop in Los Angeles when we um, worked on a couple of projects uh, down there. Mm-hmm. Primarily, well, okay, I'm backtracking some more. My, my history is so... Let's go, let's go in order. <laughs> ...that I have to edit sometimes, and I'm not sure where, okay. where or where... Which hospital uh, were you born at? Let's start there. Glendale Memorial <laughs> Hospital. Yes, indeed. Um, so basically, David and I and another guy named Kevin Mack, who was my roommate at Art Center at the time, did a uh, short clay animation called Free Taco when we were in school. We had seen a racer head at the New Art Theater in uh, in Santa Monica, I believe it was. And uh, I think we were all blazing on acid, at least Kevin and I were. And um, as you we do, went to 
we can saw it again. And we went back the next week and saw it again. And then we decided we were going to make a short film that was going to show before Eraserhead. And so we did. We made a two-minute film at, at school, stop motion, showed it around, showed it to everybody, showed it to Art Cloakey. Showed, by showing it to Art Cloakey, I became the art director for Gumby, which is a whole other chapter of my life. Yeah. But after we, after David and I did that, we did another thing called uh, The Danger Team, which was a pilot, stop-motion pilot that we did for Lorimar um, back in the uh, early 90s, I think it was. That went nowhere, but because we did that, we met a woman named Jenny Trias, who was the uh, VP in charge of children's at ABC Saturday morning. And she said, I would love for you to pitch a show. So we went in there and we pitched Bump in the Night. And um, she looked at Mr. Bumpy. We had a, a maquette. Do I have it right here? <laughs> I do. Hold on a second. Yes. I'm going to show you this Mr. Bumpy ever sculpted. Please. Um, Hold on. Okay. It's so hard to see out of these, by the way. <laughs> you know, I forget why you're wearing that. Because it'll probably piss people off and it'll be funny. Yes. Frames broken, too. So. Oh. Whenever David and I would do a pitch, we would um, do a puppet under Ooh, glass. Oh, yeah. Oh, my word. So, uh, here is, I just want to put this down and not break it. The very first Mr. Bumpy ever. Wow, spoken. nice. That is beautiful. I love it. It's still in good condition. Yeah, very yeah. Sculpted by uh, Josephine Hong, who is uh, just a delightful woman who subsequently worked. She worked on Clay Fighter before that. <laughs> oh, yeah. And was working on Clay Fighter with us. She sculpted this bump in the night, and or this Mr. Bumpy, which um, we showed to Jenny. We showed her another thing too. I might as well show you that too. I'm giving you the history. Let me go yeah. back into the art. Yeah, go for it. Seriously, that statue is just like, I want it. I know. It's like, this is, so, I'm, I'm just surprised they like, you know, they're still in good condition. Like they don't deteriorate or as far as we know. Yeah. So we had two pitches for Jenny. We had one that we thought was the killer pitch. Um, a friend of ours, you know, I'm, we're in the Bay Area here. And a friend of ours um, knew one of the guys. Oh, no! Shit. Oh, it's just, oh, oh that no. Sound was... <laughs> no. That was a sound. Breaking glass. God. Me... Are, the, are the Marquettes okay? Oh, the Marquettes are okay. Okay, but, good. Um, but the glass. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. I'm sorry. Not so much. That's okay. It's just, well, it's just the glass case. Yeah. Um, so we had a friend that um, knew one of the guys in Metallica. Oh, and, and so we came up with this idea for this rock and roll robots called, and we we're going to call them Metallic Kids. <laughs> oh, yeah, we, we had this maquette made, and this is pretty badass. Damn, right? that what's well, it made out of? It's made out okay. of, um, I think, Super Sculpey and wire and stuff. I mean, it is breakable. Some of some of my maquettes, we had Norm Norm um, uh, Norm DiCarlo. Mm -hmm. who I, I, we've known since Gumby. He was the art director uh, on Bump in the Night. Norm liked to sculpt stuff out of propoxy, which is like this plumber's stuff. I mean, it's like you can pound nails with it when it's done. So some of my maquettes <laughs> are indestructible and would stop a bullet. Uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. Let's test that. Yeah, let's, let's not. So yeah, we Go thought on. this was be the winner, right? 
And we just thought this is great. But she looked at this and she went, yeah, that's cool. And she put it off to the side. <laughs> okay. And she went, but I really like that. You know, the, the, the one I showed you before. Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking about cleaning up that glass later and all the happy tree friend scenarios that um, I'm going to hopefully avoid. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> that was another and, one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Happy tree friends. That's that was great. Oh, so, yeah. Uh, so we showed, you know, Jenny looked at Mr. Bumpy and she said, um, but I love that. And um, she said, have your people talk to my people. I want to do this show with you. Let's do this. And just like that, in a second, we had sold it in the room. Damn. Which, you know, that doesn't happen, right? Um, young, naive us thought that we had sold it merely on the merits of the quality of the concept and the puppet, which was, that was important. But what we really sold it on was the fact that Jenny had a dictate from her bosses that they wanted to no longer just license material, which means they basically leased Bump, Mr. Bumpy from us, but we got him back at the end and retained all the rights and the ownership, but they wanted to own the property. Mm -hmm. So pretty much in order to get our start in television, David and I sold our baby huh. to ABC. And that was fine. I'm happy to make that deal because, you know, here we are now, right? Um, but that was really what sold it. They wanted something that they could own and something that looked different than anything else. And that was Bump in the Night and also Reboot. And we were back to back in that day. And the Reboot guys are great. I, I went on to meet them and uh, I've worked with them on um, other projects, um, mainframe projects in the past. Yeah, yeah. And so we did Bump in the Night for uh, two and a half, two seasons and a Christmas special. We actually had a... Uh, a deal for three seasons, but um, Disney purchased ABC, and that pretty much was the asteroid hitting planet Bumpy and killing all the dinosaurs. Yeah, I heard about that. The whole it's, ABC. Yeah, it seems a lot of sh a lot of shows seem to get like shit can because of network bureaucracy and buyouts and stuff. It's happening right now with AT and T and Cartoon Network. I think a lot of shows are getting axed. It's very oh, yeah. unfortunate. It is. I, you know, it, I've experienced that through my entire career. That was mm -hmm. the, I mean, never again with my show, nothing, never again, you know, so immediately where the suits get off the plane and tell everybody to pack up their shit and they change the locks on the door and that's oh. that. Uh, yeah, it was really harsh. But um, yeah, it, that sort of thing has affected me throughout my career. Some project I may have been percolating with some executive for for months and then there's a shakeup the executive gets fired ownership changes and that project doesn't exist anymore that's old news so mm -hmm. you know that's it's part of the deal yeah damn but first this podcast is supported by a hundred dollar donators on patreon who like to promote magical heroines a webcomic on tapas.com whether you love or hate anime it's about a middle schooler forced to join a magical girl gang and beat the shit out of people because she was told to it's magical heroines rated on the links below at tapas.com our next donator is by Idealix with their own webcomic, Loose Cannon. It's about a young bounty hunter girl in the Old West and ends up on the wrong side of the law. Links to that below on Webtoon.
Our next sponsor is CK Draws, who wants you to check out his Patreon and Twitter commissions. He draws pinups. CK also has the 2000s art style to his work, and also asses. He draws a lot of asses. It's NSFW. Our next sponsor is Red Herring Cab, an alt-indie band from the Bronx, New York. Follow their band camp and YouTube. What was the challenges with making a stop motion TV show like every week? Because watching it now, like I can see like a lot of like uh, ways like cut around the budget, you know, like the karaoke segments and all the close ups to their faces. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, all that stuff was, um, you know, we did everything we could to to stretch our dollar. It was not a cheap show to make. And I think every dollar was on the screen. <laughs> but when push came to shove, there just weren't enough dollars to do all new animation all the time. I mean, there generally isn't, you know, most animation uses stock, especially back then. Um, now with CG, it's it's a little different, although I'm, you know, there's CG stock too, I'm sure, with walks and reactions and stuff like that, but in different mm-hmm. backgrounds, we get. Uh, but uh, I'd say one of the biggest problems, this is at the very beginning of computer technology. We um, we actually started shooting on film and we quickly switched to Avid. So that was a huge time saver. Mm-hmm. There mm-hmm. were no frame grabbers really back in the day. You guys know what frame grabbers are? What's that? Uh, okay, so back in the, in the old days, if you were doing stop motion, you had no idea what you just, where, what you just did. You'd, you'd have the puppet and you'd move it a little bit and oh, then yeah. the, the way you would keep track of shit was with surface gauges. You know, these physical metal gauges that would had little points on them where, okay, this is where the puppet's head was last on the last frame. Now I moved it yeah. over here. And then you would move the puppet's head to where it should be. You'd hopefully remove your surface gauge, take the frame, and then your puppet's head's over here. You put the surface gauge here and move the puppet's head over there, remove the surface gauge, and then you get a movement like that. My God. Oh. oh, yeah. That's why I could never be an animator, especially oh. back then. The oh. first time I would move a puppet, I would just get all hot and dizzy. Like, what did, what did I do? Which way does it go? It's a special talent. But we thought that it would be really handy to have a machine where you could actually see, you could play back one or two frames of where you were. And I love this part of the story. So when David and I were in high school, we pretty much uh, we ran the yearbook and we ran the newspaper and you know all that all that art geek stuff, and we were talking to all of our friends on the school newspaper. He was the editor in chief. I was a feature editor, and we said to them, "You know, one of these days we're going to have some kind of a scene, and we don't know what it's going to be. It might be a magazine or a TV show or a movie." but we're going to hire all you guys. And they're all like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pull the other one. So <laughs> I don't know what it was, was it 20 years later, 15, 20 years later, whatever it was, we get this show. And we kept in touch with some of our friends because I think that's like the secret to everything is staying in touch with your friends. So um, one of our friends, this guy named uh, Alex Hansen worked on star Wars and not the Lucas feature film, but like the strategic, you know, air command, 
missile top secret stuff. Hmm. He's like a rocket scientist. Literal, literally, he's a rocket scientist. Wait, oh, that thing Reagan made? Yeah, yeah. He worked on that thing Reagan made. Holy, Holy shit. Yeah, he's like really smart. And so he had just been laid off and was wondering what was going to happen next. I think he was in San Diego at the time. His phone rings and it's me and Dave calling from the Bay Area saying, what you doing? He said, not much these days. Hey, you want to come over here and work on a TV show and, and make a thing that's never been made? Sure. And so he came over and he made this frame grabber. Uh, <laughs> and I just thought right, that the promise we made in high school was at least one guy got to actually see it come true. Damn. So anyway, that that is one of the one of the hard things, back, especially back then, about doing animation is just knowing where your puppet was. Um, gravity with stop motion, especially back then when it was harder to erase rigging and stuff. If you're flying a puppet now, you know, there's, it's a lot easier to, to erase it digitally back then. Not so much. So What's, gravity was a big problem. I got a question like, um, Mr. Bumpy's yeah. eyes, like, I feel like that would weigh down the whole character. Like how big of an issue was that was his eyes? Uh, you know, his eyes were fine. The only time that they got heavy is if, if we were doing a replacement where he had like, they got really big for a take, you know, the big, <laughs> yeah. and, and some of those like, but I mean, they're hollow, so it's not like that big a deal, but you know, you get cantilevered and, and weight starts to pull you forward, but not as big of a problem as other, other problems. Um, when designing characters for stop motion, do you have to take, did you have to take the weight into account and the gravity, the center of gravity of the character models? Yeah, much more than Tim Burton ever did. Tim Burton never seemed to give a shit about that. It's like, oh, God, these tiny feet and these big bodies, what a nightmare. But, you know, Tim Burton gets what he wants. Um, and then makes I, Henry Selleck do all the work. Yeah. And makes Henry Selleck do all the work. Yeah, it's funny because Henry Henry and us were we were kind of rivals. I mean, he, he poached a few of our animators, and, you know, we weren't really crazy about the guy, and... <laughs> It was funny because we were at a funeral for one of our animators, Ken Willard, who just died tragic, tragically. And um, I remember Henry saying to us at that funeral, the only time I seem to see you guys is at weddings and funerals, which was true at the time. But then he became part of a, this circle of friends. And now when I see him, it's at a, well, I don't see him anymore because of fucking COVID. But now when, when I would see him, uh, it would be at this great dinner and he would sit at the piano and, and play music by ear and we'd sing, you know, like Beatles songs and stuff. Um, hey, the meeting's been upgraded by the host. Wow, we have unlimited minutes. Finally. Yes. Right. Yay. Unlimited. I bet Henry Selleck doesn't have unlimited, unlimited minutes. <laughs> Take that. <laughs> Woo. Yeah. No, you know what? It's, it's great. It's great when people that, um, you know, you never really knew, but you sort of had an ax to grind with become people that you like. Yeah, I, I think it's very important for the audience to know that, uh, yeah, about the broken glass conversation. I just, <laughs> yeah, as a matter of fact, I'm going to, I'm going to take this computer like way down here. Oh yeah. This no. is, this is some oh. nicely, this is well broken glass. Damn. Did you, do you got more of those or do they still make that brand? I don't know. I've got I got a couple of um I got a couple of other puppets in storage um that have bell jars on them mm -hmm. that uh, you know otherwise he won't have a bell jar. Damn. A lot of my 
don't have bell jars. As a matter of fact, um, as Hi. if we go through the exercise machine, you can mm. see you can see some of the puppets are under glass and some of them aren't. Can you see what's going on here? I can see. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was yeah. going to say, like, how do you manage to uh, keep maintenance on those? Do you just dust them? Is there a certain kind of like uh, a chemical or appliance you have to put on them to keep <laughs> them from deteriorating? Or speaking of deteriorating, hold on a second. Oh wait, I've got to move this. This one. Hopefully, nothing else will break. Hopefully. I'm just watching, like, with bated breath, just like I feel a shiver up my spine, hoping nothing breaks. You got so, so much. Oh, no. Oh, man. <laughs> See Mr. Bumpy's feet? Oh, no. no. That's what happens. That's what happens to animation puppets after a period of time has passed. They, they turn into that. Pan a little up. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, man. This is my oldest puppet. This is, um, this wizard is actually from Gumby. Ooh, yeah, yeah. No way. Yeah. Hold it a little lower. The, there, are, yeah, now oh my. Yeah. I don't recognize that guy. That don't, that, that don't oh, look man. like he's out of Gumby. <laughs> yeah. He looks, he looks like a hen, he looks like a Harryhausen looking dude. Yeah. Well, you know, Art Cloakie and I had a, had a different, we had different aesthetics. And, um, I was, we fucking hated each other. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh no. What happened? Yeah. But, um, you know, he got my career started and um, I helped him uh, get Gumby going for, um, you know, another round during the 80s. And so, you know, we we got what we needed out of each other. And that was that. Oh, man. I I get you very, very business, businessy relationship. It started out very friendly. I'm like I said, after we did um, that closed month, or not closed Mondays. <laughs> that was that's Will Vinton's. After we did uh, Free Taco, which was a two minute film that David and I did at Art Center, because we made that film, we met Art Cloakey, and mm -hmm. you know we hung out with him. He came, he came to um, Art Center and lectured and. Um, he ended up doing a show at the New Art Theater, as a matter of fact, um, the very place where we conceived of Free Taco. Uh, he ended up doing a Gumby revival show that became kind of the catalyst for getting the right person to see that at a, who was, happened to be at a studio who said we should make a new series. And, you know, it kind of steamrolled into that. And at some point, that friendship um, turned into the opposite of friendship. And um, but I was—I guess I was perceived as a necessary evil. And um, I decided I was going to see this thing to the end because I knew it was the beginning of my career. And any bad feelings that I have about art and the things that happened back then are really just sort of these stories that I tell. And what I really take away from that is all the great things that happened because of that association. The people I meet, the start, the met, the start of my career. So many careers got started at Gumby. It's just phenomenal. If you look at the credits of who was animating, Tim Hiddle, a made one of the best animators I know of. Who he did Jay Clay. Um, he's worked at um, at uh, Pixar and and other places. He's worked with 
David and I, um, I know Jesus, Mike Belzer and, and, uh, Eric Layton and, and Karen Kaiser, all these people that worked at subsequently all the big shops in the Bay area. And then, you know, some of them moved over to Vinton. Um, a lot of careers got started with Gumby mm-hmm. and it was great. Yeah. Cause really how, good. how prominent was like stop motion TV at the time? Uh, I don't think there was another stop motion TV show on at that, that time. It was, um, it was a pretty weird animal. Stop motion had, um, it hadn't, didn't really hit a heyday until, as far as I can remember, until after Gumby. And then Henry started doing those MTV shorts. And as a matter of fact, Eric Layton, I think uh, Mike Belzer, a couple of the other animators from Gumby were kind of moonlighting doing those. Um, and so Henry was kind of putting his scene together. And then, um, you know, some other places started doing it. So the Bay Area became in the 80s and 90s became a real hub of stop motion and now that's kind of moving over to portland you know Mm. vinton had been there the whole time yeah Uh, i think he was he was there when we were doing gumby (laughs) yeah did you work on the movie the gumby movie yeah no no No. art had art had fired me by that time (laughs) oh man (laughs) jesus jeez (laughs) i i wouldn't have wanted to work on the movie at that point. Yeah, yeah. They're, even now we're doing other things. At that point, towards the end of, of Gumby, David and I could see the writing on the wall, and we did this two-minute short called The Danger Team. And we got some of the best animators from Gumby and um, you know, bought all of our own stuff because we didn't want there to be any conflict of interest of ownership or any of that kind of stuff, and set, the, set up these uh, sets on different people's like kitchen tables, I think three or four different kitchen tables and made this kick-ass little two minute film. And the film was so good that the people who were working on Gumby at the time, the post-production houses, the sound effects places and the, you know, the film finishing places, they all agreed to finish the film for us for free. I mean, we got literally tens of thousands of dollars worth of services from these guys for free with the understanding that if we were to sell this thing and turn it into a TV series, and if it was within our power to do so, because you know they'd been around the block, they knew that we weren't necessarily gonna be able to call any shots, that they would work on the thing. And sure enough, we did take it into Hollywood and uh, one thing led to another, some interesting stories there. Mm-hmm. And we ended up uh, using some of the people, uh, Wavefront Sound, who did the sound for Gumby uh, and they did this bang up job on the danger team. And subsequently we uh, built a studio for them in our sound stage in Brisbane, we were shooting bump in the night. So there, we actually had a full functioning sound stage inside of our shooting stage. And I used to love to go in there because David and I would go in there and the door would be closed and nobody was allowed to knock. You, you know, you don't knock on, that, on a, those doors, right? Nobody was allowed to knock or bother us. And we'd go in there and we could just focus on one thing. And doing the, the post-production sound is like really fun. It's like, oh, make that fart longer, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know what? We need the sound of broken glass. Hold on a second. Uh, can't go get that model. Oh, um, man. <laughs> <laughs> Say goodbye to the bell jar. Take it by the bell. There goes another one. 
Um, actually, Foley work is the best. We didn't we we had a little bit of Foley stuff there, but we didn't have like a full Foley stage because I love Foley work. It's the best. It's the best. But what would happen is that we'd finish our session, and we'd open the door, and we would be in the middle of the shooting stage where all the animators were, and it was like it was like a bunch of baby birds just going me 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 immediately be like hey ken can you come look at this david look well, over here i need you over here and just instantly there would be like they they would just descend on us like like a pack of of baby birds who needed to be fed and you know all that chill this is really great linear let's make a sound effect i don't have to think about anything else i just went away and we were back in the production again damn sounds so stressful uh, yeah. Overwhelming, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a good stress, though. Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, the man. type where you're like in the zone and like you're ready to solve some problems. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A funny story about that. Um, when I was directing at Vinton's, um, we had all the directors had walkie talkies, um, and everybody had uh, had a, a handle. Mine was poo poo platter, um, mm -hmm. because. I really love poo-poo platters and there was a place we'd go, but it turns out that always got shortened to poo-poo. So that was my name. Good enough. Uh, my wife was visiting me and I was um, in my office and my phone rang at the same time that an animator came to the door saying, Ken, I need you. At the same time that my walkie talkie went off saying, Poopoo, we need you on the stage, <laughs> and we just looked at each other and started cracking up because that was that was my life. That's the life of a director on a set, set like that. Yeah. What was this for? For Will Vinton, or what was it? For what? Uh, there, he did a Vinton did a show called Gary and Mike. It was on. Um, you oh, I think. UPN, right? I think so. Yeah, I think I know what you're talking about, Gary and Mike. Yeah. Yeah, it was a really fun show to work on. Uh, really fun because it was it was adult animation and you know my first show was uh my first show was about um mike hiring a hooker in vegas to get gary laid for the first time hell yeah How as you, you do a show like that damn yeah yeah no i i love uh buddy comedies like that yeah. not necessarily strictly buddy comedy but same vein um but on the subject of that um was Gary and Mike one of your favorites to work on? Uh, pro probably a generic question, but like, what are some of your favorite projects you've been on? Any fun stories in particular, stuff like that? Oh, well, there's fun stories with every project. Of course. Where I actually have to leave my house. Um, I mean, there's some funny stories about projects that I've just done at home, but um, Gary and Mike, I mean, that had some good stuff. I mean, being in Portland for a year was really fun. But um, I would say my favorite show to work on was Bump in the Night because mm -hmm. I've been drawing that since I, thing since I was seven years old. Mm -hmm. Of course. After that, it has to be Happy Tree Friends. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Happy Tree Friends is the best writer's room I've ever been in. And as a matter of fact, I have to send you the uh, the link to something that's on youtube mm -hmm. it's a five minute clip from a story meeting that i am so glad i recorded i went like that because the camera was up there um 
where we were breaking a Buddhist monkey story. And I pitched the idea of what if he was nudist monkey? Uh oh. And then it's funny because when you said that, when you said, uh oh, the beginning of the clip, oh, I got to plug in this computer. The beginning of the clip is me saying, okay, this is kind of off track, but I have an, an idea. And somebody else went, uh oh. So, you know, you're right there in the room with us. So, for basically, it's us cracking up for five minutes, doing nothing but laughing, pitching, trying to pitch a few gags between gas. It's the best. So please remind me to uh, to send you the link to that because your okay. listeners or viewers or whatever might enjoy seeing it. Okay, I'll just put a note okay. here, monkey clip. <laughs> um, on the subject of Happy Tree Friends, since it was a very like violent show, was there ever any ideas that were like left on the cutting room floor or oh. ideas that just went way too far that like you couldn't do? Um, no violence was too much for us to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, pop and cup, you know, we're killing babies. <laughs> yeah. True enough. Uh, there were certain things that we wouldn't do. We had a few rules. Oh. Uh, number one, of course, no talking. That would completely jump the shark. Were you there from the beginning of Happy Tree Friends or when? Was I? Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, here, okay, uh, we'll, we'll swing back to, to the answer to this question, but um, yeah, we might as okay. well... Well, might as well start at the beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, when I found out about Happy Tree Friends, they already had two DVD compilations. I had one of those, yeah. Yeah. So the way I found out about it was the way most people find out about it is somebody sends them a link and goes, dude, says, dude, you got to check this out. So I checked it out and, you know, as most people do, I said, what the fuck? And I just <laughs> everyone I could see. And then I stumbled on one of the DVDs and bought it because that's what you did back then. Uh, you bought DVDs mm -hmm. and I looked at the back and I saw that they were in San Francisco and I'm, I'm right here in Sausalito. And so I, I wrote, I wrote them a letter, an email actually. Um, and I said, um, Hey, my name's Ken Pontac. I've worked on this and this and this. I think you guys rock. I would love to meet you. And they wrote back and said, dude, you worked on that and that and that. We think you rock. Let's meet. <laughs> and uh, just like that, we had lunch. And I remember before we even got out of the car, I met him at the studio and we drove to some restaurant. Before we got out of the car, we were laughing so hard that, uh, that we were just in tears. Mm -hmm. And uh, oddly enough, I didn't end up writing for the show for another year or two after after that hmm. that's great uh so you guys you, just hung out and then like a year or two later it all got finalized and sorted out and was like waiting for an open spot yeah, yeah come, pretty come, waiting, come waiting until the us. time was right you know they they were staff they were crewed up i was working on a bunch of other things um what i try not to do at this stage of my career when i i meet and one of the great things is at this stage of my career is that my heroes become my peers and then my friends and sometimes my coworkers. But kind of in that order, first they're my heroes and then they're my peers 
which means that I feel comfortable approaching them. Although anybody should be should feel comfortable approaching anybody. I I lecture to high schools all the time, and I tell them get in touch with your heroes. <laughs> I also tell them get in touch with your heroes, but don't stalk their ass. Oh no! And yeah, you know the difference. Don't get in touch with your heroes. But once I get in touch with them, the next thing I do is not to say, "Hey, let's work together." I, you know, I we bat it back and forth. Maybe we meet, uh, and then at some point, it seems right for one of us to say, "Hey, I've got a project. Do you want to work on it?" And with these guys, uh, I almost worked with them when they almost sold a show to MTV, and they were freaking out because they had never done series before, and all of a sudden somebody wanted to turn their, you know, two minute thing into the series. And so I came on, I got paid to uh, basically consult for a couple of weeks about what that might be, but that never happened. So that went away. And then I don't even remember what happened, but they, uh, they said, Hey, you know what? Um, we'd love you to come into the room and, 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 you know, pitch stories with us. I said, that sounds great. And the very first one I wrote was um, <laughs> happened how to, it's right here. Um, it's no. out on a limb. <laughs> uh, the one where, where spoiler alert, Lumpy cuts, cuts off his leg. Because mm-hmm. um, the guy who uh, the guy who that was based on, you know, the what was it, forty eight hours or whatever. Oh yeah, one twenty seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he had he had cut off his leg and all that stuff or arm a while earlier, but um, now he's on his book tour. He had his book out, and so I saw him on some talk show, and I thought that's funny. Uh, we could do a show based on that, oh. and that I pitched it, and uh, it turned out to be one of the best ones. It's one uh, it's got more hits than uh, you know most of them. Oh man, yeah. yeah. This was before the I, movie, right? So it's like <laughs> I don't know. I, I I just like how you said I saw him on book tour, and your first thought was that's that's funny. That's a good idea. <laughs> that's a great. His idea. real life suffering would be a good episode. His real life suffering. Hell yeah. You know, we make uh, we turn our lemons into lemonade, and yeah, yeah. unless uh, like an ice cold lemonade, we turn our eyes into lemonade. <laughs> oh man, that was like one of the first ones I ever saw. That I I have a big thing with like eyes. I don't like no them, nothing. Uh-uh. So just yeah. seeing like them struggling to cut the eyeball, like there was like resistance. Yeah. It's just ooh, hated it. Oh yeah. So fuck you guys for that one. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, speaking of eyes. Uh-huh. Um, we had one, uh, I forget what it was called, but uh, Disco Bear g- goes into a barber shop, and I forget, it was either Lumpy is an idiot and shaves him bald, or Mole is bald, is blind and shaves him bald. Anyway, he leaves and he's, he's bald. He's all bummed out about that. Buys some cut-rate um, hair tonic from Lifty and Shifty in a back alley. Dunks his whole face in it. And we knew that funny shit was going to happen but it was like six o'clock or whatever and it was time for us to go home so we went home but my brain is still it, it never stops happy tree friends it's like a curse man everything around you, you just think about how can that hurt you which actually probably man. keeps you safe um but i had this dream and in the dream uh i was looking at my own eye so it's like the point of view was a close-up on an eye like in the mirror, but also mm-hmm. I was from the mirror's point of view, like seeing me, it was like that dream thing where you're both angles. Third person. But yeah, yeah, it's like yeah. a whole third thing. And so it's close up on an eye and one hair grows out of the eye. And then, then a, a pair of tweezers comes in and starts to pull 
and and the eye like does that dimple out thing and then it goes point and then the dimple collapses into a red crater and that was in my dream and i woke up going jesus christ and i wrote it down i because i didn't want to forget it and the next morning having forgotten it i looked at my computer and went jesus christ and that that's a weird dream no gag ever did awful it's the worst i don't like that i showed it high school kids i love because they say where do you get your ideas from and i tell them that (laughs) that's yeah that's just like that's like a that's like a straight horror thing like you could go you could take you could take that shit to a film school and have like a film Mm. teacher like reeling their brain over it for hours I had another nightmare that I turned into uh, <laughs> okay. a on a bump on the, on the night episode, actually. All right, yeah. Oh, joy. Where uh, where Molly, um, she, her parts start getting, she loses an arm and it gets, she gets like a, this gorilla toy arm. Yeah. And she loses um, different parts and she finally ends up having like this. Um, yeah, monster this head. Yeah, the staple remover head. Oh, yeah, right? yeah, That's yeah. <laughs> and the, yeah. And so... So there was a bit, it was written by M.K. Um, Brown, who was this genius, wonderful woman. She was uh, a cartoonist in National Lampoon way back in the day. She is mm-hmm. like, you wanted to hear a story. She's got the stories. But um, I said, okay, M.K., we got to have this one gag in here. Because I had this dream where I was being chased by zombies. Right. I have that dream a lot. But in this particular dream, I was on a bridge. And wait a second broken glass on the floor um and careful so in the in the dream i i'm being assailed by all these zombies but in the in the front is like this hideous old hag zombie and she's like ah and so i materialize this sword out of my hand i love it too just like the sword just grew out of my hand mm-hmm. i snatch her head off boom her head tumbles down to the ground but then she picks it up and she holds it out to me and it's like still going ah and i said we've got to do that gag in this bump of the night. So that Molly does that. She goes, I want your head, Mr. Bumpy. And she's holding her own horrible head. That was the only show we ever got hate mail for. Oh, in the Midwest said, quoted that show and said, this is inappropriate for children. You should be taken off the air. Oh, I was, man. I was happy. Damn. A I would be, I would world. be too. <laughs> and actually, um, I remember I got a resurgence recently when a bunch of, uh, big old YouTubers were talking about their childhood fears a few years back. And that one specific episode popped up on a couple lists people had. So to oh, this that... day, still traumatized kids. So you have no idea. That's probably the greatest thing I'm going to hear today. Yeah. A lot. Um, it's still, it's still affected them all these years later. They're like that fucking episode scared the shit out of me. I know if, if so... they had all been like that, we we wouldn't be the warmly remembered cult classic that we are today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Damn. Oh, very good. Um, hmm. Well, speaking of like a uh, dark humor, do you remember working on this video game called Mad World? Oh God, yeah. Yes. I probably shouldn't. I made it a point to be completely drunk out of my brain every time I wrote for it. <laughs> <laughs> like, did you write the announcer oh, voices? What's that? Yeah, yeah. Me and uh, Warren Graff from Happy Tree Friends wrote the announcer voices. That was our first job for Sega. Um, 
And definitely not the last. Definitely not the last. <laughs> it, was, it was the the raunchiest. Yeah, we um, we got the gig. Well, I got the gig first, and then uh, I was told by the producer that there was another writer who they were also they wanted a writing team, and they had this writer in L.A. And I said, okay, well, wait a second, is he like sign on? I said, well, no. And I said, good. Because I've got a writer I would really like to work with. He also worked on Happy Tree Friends, and the two of us will kill it. He said, fine. And that started Warren in my career at Sega. And, uh, yeah, that was written with a lot of tequila on board and blare, blasting uh, the offspring. I only <laughs> listened to offspring during the whole time. Because, um, didn't they do the, the music for Crazy Taxi? Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. I had played a lot of Crazy Taxi in Portland when we were doing Gary and Mike, and um, and I thought this would be a good soundtrack to to write the raunchiest shit that I'll ever <laughs> make in my life. <laughs> yeah, I mean the soundtrack Mad World ended up with is really awesome. I love that, but it's not, it doesn't sound anything like Offspring. No, no. Um, yeah. Did your work on Mad World help you get on board with Sonic, or did was that a different thing altogether? Well, it helped in that. Uh, it was the same producer who, um, Patrick uh, Riley, mm -hmm. was the producer on that. And um, he was happy with the work we had done on, on Mad World and happy with just the way that Warren and I worked in general. You know, we weren't fuck ups. We got our stuff done on time. We, we, if there was a problem, we would make sure that it got taken care of and everybody was happy. Uh, you know, the kinds of things that producers like. And right. so when Sonic came up, there was they had kind of a bake sale for it. You know, different writers were given the opportunity to basically write a short sequence. And we wrote some bit with uh, Eggman and the two robots, just some comedy bit. Robot and robot. Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, back then, I didn't even know that there was an Orbot and a Cubot. I guess they had existed before. Oh no, they're new characters. They, they were new characters. They were new characters at the time. Yeah, you're gonna have to bear with me. I'm like a huge Sonic yeah. fan, so this is gonna be completely insufferable for everyone. Oh. Okay, and now I have, as you well know, then um, I have a checkered history with Sonic fandom. Uh -oh. um, uh, of course, of course. Who, who, uh, who in their who hasn't worked on Sonic that has a checkered history with them? But this is what I found out when when I made the internet explode from from my little faux pas. Uh, when I, I went to the uh, principal's office and was told, yeah, this happens to all of us. Just don't talk to those guys. You know, that's the best. Oh, oh don't God. Um, oh, Jesus. You know, I love my fans. Like, all of them. Except for the ones that just hate me for reasons, for dumb reasons. Existing. That, yeah, they hate me for existing, and they want they want my dog to be dead, and you know they don't they don't understand how the world works how things work uh and it's just it's just kind of childish and yeah. it's unfortunate because whatever vocal i don't know if it's a vocal minority a vocal majority who would how many it is but whatever vocal group is behind all of that has they definitely screwed it for any sonic fans who wanted me to do a sonic panel at any cons that i have ever gone to subsequently or in the future. 
Well, I won't do un- completely understandable. Yeah. If it's yeah. any consolation, the whole fandom has self cannibalized itself. So, you know, you're not alone in that. Yeah. But, I, and, yeah. and if yeah. you, I don't know, I feel like if you do end up doing a panel, I, I feel like, honestly, I won't, I, I'm sure there'll be a lot of people who would actually like be nice and, and not be terrible. Yeah, societal convention has taught me many things that a lot of people like to talk to talk, but when it comes to walking the walk, they trip and fall face first and break all their teeth. So, oh, oh yeah. You know. I mean, all this greed is coming from mommy's basement. Basically. Oh. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I mean, it was a great run. And, you know, the, it, there were a couple of trips to Japan. Oh, my God, the trips to Japan. There is nothing like going to Japan with a producer who speaks Japanese, loves to eat, knows all the places to eat, and has a Sega credit card. Oh my God, please stop talking. I <laughs> Hell yeah. How much takoyaki did you eat? Because I love that shit so much. Uh, what is that? It's fried octopus dumplings. Hell yeah. Oh, Ramen. I don't know how many, but I, I know I had some. I eat most of the things. I wouldn't eat chicken tartare because... Mm. Yeah, homie, don't play that. Uh, <laughs> and I won't eat whale. I could have eaten whale in Iceland too, but Whoa, I won't eat whale. Nice. Yeah. Nuke the whales. <laughs> oh, I'll nuke them. Yeah, Fuck those yeah. whales. I just won't yeah. eat them. Well, they done for me. Reminds me of the Eric Andre skit. Want to sign our petition? We're going to kill all the whales. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're just going to go kill all the whales. Fuck yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, oh god, having a infinite money and visiting all the food places in Japan, honestly, like goals. The dream is just yeah. to go to a foreign country and eat all their shit and leave. Oh my god, it was it was amazing because we went places that no tourist would go to. I remember. Okay, so I had a birthday party on Sunday in huh. in the Bay Area. And at three o'clock before the birthday party, my tooth exploded and I had to call up my dentist and have an emergency root canal Oh, because I get on a plane on Monday morning and then have to have a root canal in Japan. And I knew that like just the pressure on the plane and the no way. Mm. Um, So then I was singing karaoke that night through a mouthful of bloody cotton and not able to drink because I was now on antibiotics. And that was crippling. It was my birthday party. We had karaoke. I was on pain medication, so I, I had you know I had a good buzz on, but I didn't have I didn't have my karaoke alcohol buzz on. Mm-hmm. So I'm on the plane, and you know we go to Japan, and I can't drink. This was the second time, I can't drink. But um, Yaz took us to this place, uh, in oh what's the city that's like Blade Runner? Um, <laughs> um... I mean they're all. Blade Runner, but this one, it, basically he took us to Blade Runner, and we, we had this amazing <laughs> meal in this abandoned um, subway tunnel, all the walls were curved, you know, we're eating like this weird stuff, oh, man. he goes, okay, we're going to go to this bar I love, and so the neons reflected in the puddles, and it, I mean, it is just so moody and perfect, we go into this bar, and it's just all polished wood and gleaming chrome, and we're the only people in there except for this really interesting looking couple at the bar. We sit at this table and I say to myself, I'm going to have a fucking drink. 
because Yaz said, the whiskey here is unbelievable. And I get this glass of whiskey and it has this ice cube in it, this blue ice cube that must have been just hacked out of a glacier. It was just the most perfect thing. And um, at that point, I just said, yeah, I'm drinking here in Japan again. And that was that. Damn, they gave you an Energon cube. Hell yeah. <laughs> I guess he did. God, I don't know where God, this place is, but I want to see it. Me too. I know my friend Sydney does a lot of travel vlogs about all these weird bars in Japan, like how they opened their first porn bar. So that shit's wild. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's a place worth going back to, as is Iceland. Mm-hmm. Iceland, uh, Iceland where I worked. Gorgeous. That was... That was a magical place. Hmm. Yeah, the really. black the black beaches look. I really love to go there. It's, I mean, that's why they shoot all you know so many weird movies there because it, it looks like another planet. Hmm. Damn, that sounds so cool. Hmm. But uh, we haven't talked about Clay Fighter. How'd you get yeah. involved with oh, yeah. that? Um. So Clay Fighter. I'm just trying to figure out the chronology here. A couple of animators from Gumby worked with um, visual concepts on a game called um, Claymates. Ah, yeah, yeah. And the first digitized clay figures that I think had existed. It turned out there's one more, but something before that came out, I forget the name, but yeah, go on, sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it was one of the early ones for sure. And the sprites look like shit. You know, they... They shot them, you know, and they were they were just a few. There weren't enough pixels to really model, but the boss, some of the bosses looked pretty cool. I think that's what the deal was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they decided that they wanted to do another clay video game called Harley's Humongous Adventure. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Owen and Angie had they were going off to work on I think maybe one of Henry's projects even, and David and I didn't have anything to do at the time. And so we said, sure, let's do this thing. And so we did this Harley game, and our bosses were even bigger. Um, and they were pretty crazy looking. As a matter of fact, hold on a second. Hmm. Oh, let's see. I right, just got to look at my my <laughs> rippling torso. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man. If it's any constellation, it was absolutely gorgeous. Oh, thank you. I did suck in the gut. So so here we are. These are, these are like some of the, the bosses... Some of the the characters that we were doing, like just yeah. a puffer character, and um, yeah, here here we are. Like it's kind of hard to see some of this. Yeah, stuff, yeah. Make sure you got him on focus pan, by the way. Oh yeah, well, since you're recording, on your I mean, end. Zoom's kind of like pixely in general, but yeah. So we had like you know, ooh yeah yeah yeah, big weird characters, big simple weird characters that the light could wrap around hmm. and. And they looked, they looked pretty good. I mean, some of those bosses really came out great. And so then they, that was almost like a proof of concept game. And then they said, yeah, you know what? I think that we can do Clay Fighter. And um, I'm not sure where, who had the idea for Clay Fighter, if it was um, Visual Concepts pitched it to Interplay or Interplay pitched it to Visual Concepts. Um, I might've known once, but I don't remember anymore. Mm-hmm. But they asked David and I if we wanted to do that. We said, sure. And 
I remember uh, I had not played any fighting games mm-hmm. at that point. And they gave us a copy of Street Fighter that um, wasn't didn't exist in the United States. I mean, they basically, we had to sign, you know, agreements that wouldn't show us to anybody. And I think they even gave us like a special player to play it on. And so we started playing whatever version of Street Fighter was coming out. Like ROM. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, but it was really fun. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, we could we could do something great with, with clay characters. And so we basically, you know, we based all of our moves on on what what Clay Fighter inspired us to do. Um, like Taffy was kind of based on on um, oh, who's the stretchy guy? Oh, yeah, Dulcum. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, you know, Bad Mister Frosty was kind of Zangief, mm-hmm. um, et cetera, et cetera. And we just had a ball, and it turned into it turned into like uh, you know a bigger deal, bigger deal than I thought it would. You Ooh. know, we got on covers of things, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Uh, people were talking about it. And to this day, uh, when I go to conventions, people you know, they remember it. I remember a couple of years ago, I was at some convention, and some thirty-year-old guy comes up to me, and he goes, uh, "Dude." My brother and I used to fight over your shit. I said, yeah, <laughs> that's thing anybody's going to tell me today. Damn, that's so cool. So you only worked on the first game or? Well, we worked on the first one. We, um, you know, deeply. We did all the character design and animation. Uh, worked with uh, visual concepts who were, they were right down the hall from us uh, in in this bank building actually we were upstairs in this bank building in san anselmo and we worked very tightly on that one by the time the second game came out i think we were we were busy with something we mm-hmm. might have been starting up bump in the night mm-hmm. so we went to a friend of ours that we had known back in our special effects days in hollywood named terry o'brien he had a company and we designed the characters with uh with him and some other art, other artists and mm-hmm. kind of just looked over his shoulder a little bit, but that, that was pretty much out of our hands. We took a finder's fee and, you know, made sure that the characters looked the way that we hoped that they should look for the continuity of the game to go on. Mm-hmm. And then when we did the, the last one, the 63 and a third, uh, we did that under the roof at danger productions while we were doing uh, bump in the night. So in fact, while bump in the night was shutting down after the show had been canceled, we still had to keep the lights going to finish working on clay fighter. And also, um, also some other game. What was that game that had like little cavemen were running around screaming and, um, they were being killed by these big monsters. Um, Um, was like super Nintendo, I think. It was another. It was like another fighting game. It was like you know, big monsters. Oh, Primal Rage. Primal Rage. Yeah, we yeah. did. We did. Oh, okay. Yeah. Damn it. Yeah, I love Primal Rage. Yeah. The yeah. exploding heart meter. It's like <laughs> yeah, all the piss. You can shit on people. Good stuff. Gruesome. Yeah. We didn't have a lot to do with that one. That was kind of done under our roof, but um, there was another producer that was more involved with that. But it was all kind of happening and 
we were all breathing each other's farts, basically. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Clay Fighter Like I feel like Clay Fighter now would work better because back then you could only store so much stuff into those cartridges and I know a lot of animation frames had to be cut out and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, when we especially on, on uh thirty three and a third or sixty three and a third, I should say, right? Yeah, um, yeah. When we delivered our assets, for whatever reason, they said, Okay, thanks. Bye. And they didn't work with our animators to help sequence the assets in the best possible way. And, you know, they have a lot of guys there that know a lot of things, but we had the guys who actually shot the frames and knew how they should work together. And I thought that they were missing a trick. And I think if, if they had used that asset, the asset of us to help with the sequencing, the animation would have looked better. Yeah, yeah, because uh, the 64 game is incredibly choppy, but I heard that they, somebody still has, like, the uh, the actual masters where all the full resolution images and everything saved somewhere. Oh, they were gorgeous. I mean, they were... Yeah. They were I can imagine. Photo, yeah. Photographic. They looked amazing. Yeah. With HD uh, video nowadays, like, that game would look way better now. Not, not, only, not only that, but 3D scanning, too. Like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, what a that would be a hell of a re-release if somebody had those original materials. Yeah. Because, well, I mean, there were there were a couple of characters I don't think ever even got released. Oh like, yeah. Um, uh, like, Hobo uh, Cop. Hobo Cop. Yeah. You know what? <laughs> if they had that Asian character, Kung uh, Pao. Uh, yeah, like I, so offensive. <laughs> yeah. I'm and still, it's like <sighs> I had nothing to do with that. No. Nah. Instant, and I, I just went. Do you guys not see what this is? I mean, holy shit! Pick any other ethnic group and do the most <laughs> stereotype. I'm not going to say it here and go on record, but you can imagine the things that that people could do that would be equally offensive, oh, and yeah. it would be equally offensive because it was fucking offensive. Cool. And I, you know, making fun of the homeless is also bad, but at least the homeless is not a particular ethnicity. And you can't choose whether or not you can be homeless, but you can choose to be homeless, at least. Um, and I mean, I'm not saying that I would do hobo cop now, but if you had to choose between one or the other, and which one is more offensive, Kung Pao by a million. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I, I'm not too familiar with Clay Fighter, so I had to look up what you mean, mm. and I'm just like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's going to be a yikes for No me, MSG. Oh my fucking god! Yeah, yeah. look, you ever yeah. see? Yeah, there, I don't know. I was looking at a lot of two thousands cartoons, and it seems like a lot of Asian uh, stereotypes were pretty normalized. Like, uh, I don't know if you ever heard of the show called uh, Chop Saki Chooks. Yeah, that that rings a bell. I oh. never saw it. Name rings a bell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little. Yeah. It's like, Holy oh. shit! Mm-hmm. I mean, really, honestly, if you look at that quarter of the stuff I wrote for Mad World. I wouldn't write that stuff again. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I'm a bit more woke now. Oh uh, no, uh, you know I I apologize to <laughs> any of my friends that might might hear that, or even my enemies. Well, actually, fuck my enemies. You should die. <laughs> oh um, no, <laughs> screw like Henry Selick. People who are strangers uh, and not yet my enemies who are offended by that because that is not my goal. My goal is not to offend. Yeah, yeah. It was a different well, time. Assholes. <laughs> oh yeah. 
they were <laughs> those announcers were assholes. Uh, yeah. Well, they were the actors are great. Oh my yeah, god, John DiMaggio oh, and um, the, I forget that the comedian's name. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. Um, but he's he's great and he's famous and I shouldn't forget his name. He did whose line is it anyway? Yeah. Um, Colin Mockery, Wayne Brady. Uh, he was uh, in he was in Star Wars as uh, Episode One as one of the announcers. I forget his name. Why don't we we have Google? God damn it! Why don't we just Star look this up? Wars. Not really. Um, but they both knocked it out of the park. I mean, they were they were perfect. That announcer, Greg Proops. Yeah, yeah, Greg Proops. Uh, he's amazing. And, uh, you know, that's one of those things that um, kind of like you're a pirate just oh. became it became bigger than than my than me, bigger than, than it's yeah. created. You wrote it, right? Or co-wrote it or something? Yeah. Yeah. I, I wrote the majority of it. Um, and then uh, I think Mountie might have written the somebody else wrote the part where Stephanie is um, on the island going, you know, doing her. I didn't write Stephanie's lyric. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, yeah, that was great because Ison was magical, and Mountie gave me. Uh, he was he was the music composer, and uh, he gave me the scratch track that was just basically like, da 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 da. You know, it was that, and so I would just play it all the time. If I wasn't at the studio, if I was at home, just you know, working on a script or doing whatever i would have it playing in the background i listened to it for hours and at some point this lyric just sort of crystallized in my brain and i just said kind of out of nowhere do what you want because the pirate lives free and i thought <laughs> that's good <laughs> and it went on from there damn fantastic caught on with everyone else it worked holy shit i have to say that you know i i kind of forgot about it and then you know a year or so later I got, I was on YouTube and I, I thought, I wonder how that pirate song came out. And at that point, there was one site that had just one one of the posts was not an official Lazy Hunt post. It had something like 34 million hits. And I just went, wait, what? <laughs> and I started scrolling down and there's like drunken karaoke versions and the, the guy doing it as a wedding song and, and all these anime mashups. And, and I just couldn't. I still can't. I still can't. I can't. Oh my god. Damn. Yeah. Created a meme. I know. Must be a powerful feeling just knowing that like y- your your jokes spread like a virus throughout the uh, internet landscape. It's one of the things that that you know, we writers live for. And it's particularly gratifying because, you know, when you're in the room, even in the writers room, we're cracking up. We don't know if it's going to be funny outside of the room. So much of it is context. You kind of had to be there sometimes to get a joke. Um, even worse when you're writing at home and you just do tapping stuff and you hit send and, and it goes off in the world. You don't know if it's funny or not. Mm-hmm. But so to, to meet my fans and to see things like that, very, very gratifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What else have what else is there to talk about? <laughs> Because I don't know. I did like... want to. I did want to loop back around uh, to a Sonic one last time because I remember you mentioned like when you took your trips to Japan, having to talk back and forth with um, SOJ. Um, so, what was the process of writing for Sonic like? Because I'm assuming it wasn't just you and Graf. You also had to like probably work with uh, people up top since it's a a brand, mm-hmm. prestige, etc. 
Yeah, so we had we had our American team, mm-hmm. and um, we would uh, we would. I'm t- just I'm trying to remember. Actually, I, I'm not. I'm not. It's been a while. We would periodically have meetings with the American team just by ourselves, kind of going over lines and and stuff like that, uh, and wondering what the next assets would be because. Games are different than anything I've worked on. Generally, when I work on a, a project, they that involves like you know a main monster or villain, they know what the monster is going to be, what what its deal is going to be, what its abilities, what it's going to look like. But a lot of times on a video game, it's sort of like yeah, at the end Eggman's going to have this big monster, and and Sonic's going to fight. It's like well, anything else. You know, does it have tentacles? Is it amorphous? So a lot of times we, we wouldn't even know exactly what was going to happen next. So you're kind of working in pieces. Um, when we went to Japan, both of the times we'd go to Japan was at the beginning of the process when we were working out some either story stuff or, well, yeah, it was, it was all about working out story when we would go to Japan. Okay. Uh, Generally, we there would be an existing story that uh, the Japanese team already had, and we would go in there and punch it up, and add things, talk about pretty much broad strokes, not a lot of specific lines, although it would get into that too. Working on Sonic was generally a big, big pleasure. It was it was not hard. It was really enjoyable. Uh, you know, going to Japan. How great is that? Um, and then you know, just getting paid to play in you know playing another another sandbox. I I was stepping over my own self because I as I was saying that I was just going to say how and you can record this if you want. Okay. Um, I just feel very fortunate in the amount of people sandboxes I've been invited to play with and in over the years. I mean, from Gumby to Sonic to Pac-Man to Crypto to just all of these, you know, King Kong, all of these characters and stuff that people grew up with the first time. And now other people are growing up with them a second time. It's really, it's really gratifying and it's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You influence like gen- multiple generations of people. It's got to feel gratifying. Definitely. There's a whole generation now. Uh, for the past four or five years, I've been doing a ton of preschool stuff. And that just happens to be where the work has been. And so yeah. I've got a show, I've got a couple of things on Netflix right now, but one of them is called uh, Starbeam. And mm-hmm. it's this cute little superhero preschool show, little superhero girl. And I wrote a couple of them. I wrote one called Whale Tail, which is just unbelievably cute you guys would never believe that i wrote it (laughs) but for the past like i said the past three or four years i've been primarily writing that stuff and there's going to be a whole generation of kids that are growing up now who have no idea that i worked on mad world or happy tree (laughs) friends or you know it's it's a hell of a thing yeah your uh, portfolio is all over the place 
it, it, really, yeah, it's massive too. I'm waiting for that hap, that that nostalgia cycle to reach Happy Tree Friends, and maybe you guys get to work on that again uh, or something. Oh, That'd be fun. That would be really fun. I I'm pretty sure that a lot of the old band would be very happy to get back together again and do it. Oh man, yeah. Start a hashtag Twitter. Because I don't know what uh, Mondo Media has been up to. Yeah, I've kind of lost track with those guys. It's um, it's not the bustling hive of activity that it was. Well, it was bigger. It was really big before I got involved. Uh, and then it, it shrunk down several times. By the time we were doing Happy Tree Friends, the uh, the series that we did for, uh, what was it, G4? Oh, yeah, G4. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we had uh, shrunk the thing down. There were probably about 20 people on staff. And when I came in, they were still in this big facility. They they, they got a bunch of uh, investor money and they were basically, you know, shitting in gold toilets and, and uh, you know, had a <laughs> snack bar and stuff. It's like uh, that uh, Simpsons episode where Bart becomes an online uh, <laughs> cartoon maker guy. Yeah. What's that the one with that? With my, my rocket car and my solid gold house? Basically, that one, and also there was another one where he he, he makes cartoons of his dad and stuff. and Ang- Ang- oh, Angry Dad. Angry Dad, yeah. and Stanley was there. Oh, that's funny. Holy that's shit, good. man. What a time to be an eight-year-old. These kids are making, these influencer kids are making so much money. Like, I've got a, I've got a friend who, who I know from in the business, and she's got a kid... Uh, I, I wish I could remember what his his hashtag was, but I can't. Oh man, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, bad. Um, and he's he's an influencer, and he basically plays video games online and makes eight thousand dollars a month or something. Damn, you know it. Ninja. God. Uh, I don't know any of those. I mean that that <laughs> that is my world. Yeah, yeah. Nin- Ninja's a streamer who. Uh... He he makes like he made like a million dollars just by switching to a different service to play his games. Now on. that service crashed. Yeah, but he still made his million dollars, yeah. so you know, yeah. good for him. I'm not yeah. mad. I'm not I mad. wish I was eight, except for the end of the world stuff. Except yeah, for the no kidding. apocalypse and no water and and food and global warming and yeah. Uh, it's basically it's basically the movie Threads, just complete impending nuclear holocaust. Woo-hoo. I'm glad I'm not eight. Yeah. <laughs> oh fuck dude <laughs> but yeah um I, I, do you have any more questions pan that you had oh. in mind because i only have like one more i don't know i i think i heard every single thing i don't know what, what else to add <laughs> um i was just gonna say was there ever like a project um that you wanted to work on that never got off the ground or a dream project if you had Unlimited resources, connections, what have you. What would you, Sir Ken Pontac, the third? I'm doubting there are two before you, but I'm saying it anyway. <laughs> what would you? What would you do? I could have done bump in the night for the rest of my life. Oh, yeah, fair. Or, or I could have done you know, twenty seasons of that, and it would have just gotten better and better. We had a whole third season that was written, recorded, storyboarded. We had animatics and film in the can. Oh man! With we got the knock on the door from the uh, executives in the black suits, telling us to leave the building. 
so Bump of the Night was my, my dream project. However, I'm working with uh, the story editor from Bump of the Night right now, a guy named Mark Zaslov, mm -hmm. who has been uh, my friend from that point on. We've written on many, many things together. And he and I have got a couple of things in development that um, could potentially be dream projects. Oh, that's, so, that's exciting. That was another thing I was going to say before we hit out, pitch whatever. And that sounds like a very interesting thing to... Yeah, I don't want to talk about it right now, but um, you guys will be the first to know when um, it's official. Mm -hmm. that is oh, cool. thank you so much. Yeah. Is there any like other physical things you want to show us on screen? Physical things or projects that aren't under NDA or whatever that you want to let people know about? Wow, let's see. What have I got in here that I can't, won't break? Um, <laughs> oh, God. Watch out for the glass. I have a broken mouse. Does that interest anybody? No. Uh, I don't, but I, I can answer the rest of that question about Happy Tree Friends, which oh, yeah. is um, the things that we wouldn't do. Mm -hmm. uh, no violent thing was too much for us. Um, Ken Navarro, uh, fun fact could not look at actual violence. Like, I want to do a gag with a degloved hand because I did some fascinated with degloved hands where- Oh, like your skin? Your yeah, yeah, basically, yeah, pulls the skin off and then your hands over here and then you've got the tendons stretched out and, and then all the red muscle hand here. Um, and so Ken Navarro hates seeing those things actually. As a matter of fact, you know, like if, if if you Google image it, he won't look. That's why the eye on Ice Cold Lemonade is so jacked up. It doesn't look anything like an eye. But Ken would not go online to look and see what half an eye looked like. Ah, yeah. It, it looked like this weird thing. Um, but no violence was too much. Um, no guns, because a ballistic solution is too easy. Any fucking idiot can point a gun and shoot it as real life has shown us all too many times. So yeah. the closest we came was uh, Flippy did some cool stuff with some staplers <laughs> when it was Flippy versus Flippy because, um, you know, that way it became, it became like, you know, a, a face-off kind of a thing. Um, no drugs, although I broke that rule myself, um, not just personally in the studio while writing them, but um, I also once again had Flippy open up a medicine cabinet and like take something to uh -oh. calm his nerves. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you know, nobody was like hitting on, on, you know, big Some splits weed. or anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, and, and no, no sex. Uh, the closest we came was disco bear being, you know, like a horn dog. But um, those were, those were our own rules. But the great thing about happy tree friends is that nobody was telling us what to do when we were doing the the series with g4 they had they could have some notes they, they had a little bit of play on what could go on their cable network because mm -hmm. they were throwing money into it but when it was shorts before and after g4 we we put them out ourselves we were guided only by our own moral compasses uh which like Jack Sparrow's is broken <laughs> and um, only pointed us into the direction that we wanted to go. So 
we did that's that's a dream job where you can just do whatever you think is funny and nobody stops you <laughs> oh man that, that that does sound like the dream because i always thought how could they get away with this and but at the time i was like a stupid kid so you know you never really think about that oh well it's an independent thing you can do it oh want. yeah yeah and, and on the flip side you do something like um like preschool i have gotten four pages of notes back in six different colors each color being a different cog in the wheel an educator a couple of producers you know whoever the head writer uh three and a half four pages of notes back from a one-page premise mm, that i might oh, have said. my god yeah sounds painful to work on preschool shows oh, it can be it, it depends on who you're working with like you know I, i'm working on this one right now with zaslov and it's a pleasure if you're dealing with people who get the joke you know it was octonauts um star beam for the most part it's it's really fun every once in a while you get you get that bad educator in there who has their own agenda or you know uh somebody kind of high up who has a particular bone to pick or a hard on about a certain thing that they want to have happen that just doesn't work and i learned yeah, after working with art i learned that if you if they're sending the paycheck you either do it, you argue, mm -hmm. but you do what they want to do, or you don't take the check and you do something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's the flip side to the dream job. That's the job job. Yeah, yeah. Is that why you left uh, the Gumby show? Oh, I left because Art fired me. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, geez. Uh, that, that, is, that is a long and amazing story. Also, I do have actually, based... After saying that, I have one more thing I'll show you, which is pretty interesting. Mm hmm Okay. What's that button on your hat? Oh, Splatoon. Okay. It's a shame Splatoon is over forever. Ooh. Yo. Oh, this, that looks so cool. What is this like a pitch bible? What is this? No, no, this is this is like stuff that happened while we were there. Oh man. That's oh, a scrapbook. Dead scrapbook. Gumby, no. <laughs> oh no. He's dead. Oh, oh my. Yeah. That's what happened to Gumby? Smushed. No. <laughs> Fell on the floor now. He has like a bunch of dust and hairs on him. Well, the thing that is the dustiest is this piece of biscotti oh man which is um how old is how well this is like 30, 30 years old or yeah so. um probably not worth eating even oh if yeah nothing else to eat um we uh we had a big tub of biscotti because um there's a, there's a woman who's sadly dead now but her name was bonnie tempesta and mm -hmm. uh, she was the cookie queen back in those days she was famous throughout the uh, Bay Area for her her uh, biscotti, mm -hmm. and she was really good friends with Norm DiCarlo, who worked in the art department, and so she would bring in this us uh, these gigantic tubs of biscotti that I realized fairly quickly was like a disease vector petri dish. 
um, you know, the animators, animators are dirty animals. And, you know, they they <laughs> eat the biscotti and their fingers. Well, in the, in the, in the days of COVID, we understand uh, transmission better than we did back then in a simpler time. Mm-hmm. Um, so everybody would always would get would get sick <laughs> after a while oh. towards the bottom of the you know you didn't want to eat the last third yeah I, i've gotten sick like a whole like i remember being on a bus tour and everybody got sick after eating fondue together fondue <laughs> is, it, it's delicious but group fondue is just an intrinsically incorrect idea yeah get it's... get a bowl get a side bowl and scoop it in god yeah what? Just Come on, people. Terrible idea. Just an orgy of germs. The only thing I can think of that would be worse would be an actual bowl of like agar, <laughs> like a big dish where you're just you know that's what they go they grow cultures in. Oh. Um, you know that's that's just that gelatinous stuff that you put in just, petri dishes, and then see you know gotta picture, make yogurt picture. somehow. Yeah, <laughs> right. Oh um, man. So yeah, that that was of all the artifacts in this room. Uh, I thought that was maybe the most relevant to show you. Oh man, you got to get those scanned or something. <laughs> yeah, I know it would be a I process. Know. Yeah, it's always the. Yeah, well, here I'll show you another thing. Hold on a second. Okay. Oh gosh, this is a this is a, a oh, chubby boy. one. There it is. Please don't please don't break. <laughs> Careful. Oof, Careful, yeah. SpongeBob. Careful, SpongeBob. So this hmm. is the journal that. It's a road trip journal that I did when I was working on Gumby. Uh, I took two weeks off. Um, I damn. I put this on the um, on all the milk cartons. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, this was basically where Barton and I went everywhere we went for two weeks, up the California coast all the way to Canada. Mm-hmm. And eventually this thing became like a dowser's wand for fun. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, you, I take it into a, a restaurant and the waitress there would go, oh, you're doing a travel journal. <laughs> well, you should go down, you know, go down road 52 for a while. And then there's a turn off. And, you know, it's like we'd see things we would never see and meet people we would never meet. Uh, so, yeah, this journal was Damn. great. Sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah. And then one last bit of the journal, as you can see, I, I just love talking to people because normally I, I go out and see people out in the world and I, I have interactions, but you guys are like the most, uh, human interaction I've had all day. Oh man. <laughs> all day. Yeah. Well, that's, that's not much competition. So we, we try. Yeah. <laughs> so I had this, this postcard, um, made that says, uh, it says, it's all like burned up and it's like this jacked up looking postcard and it's written it's addressed to all those art guys who wish they were here at 2700 bridgeway at at the studio address and it's from somewhere in paradise on the road usa and points north but then barton right wrote on the back art department Thank God Ken pre-addressed these cards because the truck exploded and Ken's dead. I don't know if I'll make it in the, the fire too far away, Bart. And so this is what we said. Their final the words. I'm so I'm so sorry you died. That's so unfortunate. Damn, sucks, bro. 
first time. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. First time. Oh man, that was a. Uh, um, um, do you have anything else you want to share or talk yeah. about before we head out? Because I I can't think of anything either. Like yeah. we wrote down a, a Google Doc of all the questions we wanted to ask, and you pretty much got them all. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean I want. <laughs> yeah. But you know. Damn. I. I have a million stories. I don't know. You should just like make a, I don't know, a Twitter or a YouTube, something public. You, you should write a, you should just write a book, just straight up, just write a whole book about your life. It's so interesting. People have told me that I'm, I'm tempted. <laughs> you I bet, what, yeah. Worst case scenario just winds up getting self published on Amazon, but it's out there at least. Yeah. yeah. You could, I think you could do it. You should. I, I genuinely think so. There have been multiple guests who act like their life is so fucking interesting, but have like spent three hours just whinging and lying. But yours is just like <laughs> legit good, interesting stuff. So, yeah, yeah. Mine, mine is pretty much. Oh, that reminds me. And then, you know, some other weird ass thing that happened. Oh, my God. So many weird ass things. Like there's a whole chunk of the 80s. I don't remember. Um, <laughs> I, I did not remember. That I was an extra in Steve Tyler's Oh Sherry video um, for like a decade. And then then I remembered um, somebody said, did you know, you know that video? Hang on. Um, S- Steven Tyler or Steve Tyler? Uh, here. Is it Steve from, from Journey? Oh, no, I was thinking of Aerosmith. Okay. Yeah, Steve Tyler. Steve yeah. Tyler, yeah. Yeah, there's this, this video called Oh Sherry and it starts out with like it's like a video in a video and they're shooting, they're shooting his video and there's all these Lords and ladies. Um, and I was a, uh, an extra, a movie extra back in the eighties as one of my many weird gigs. And anytime they need, I had a huge beard. Anytime they needed uh, a pirate or a hippie or a man at arms. Are you the and guy so with the long hair? I'm, I'm the guy, there's a guy in the, in Brown in the upper right hand corner in, like I'm, I'm in brown and white. Um, yeah. <laughs> we'll anyway. try to find it and like put edit it into this video. Yeah, yeah I, I totally, I totally didn't remember that. Um, so yeah, I, there, there's tons of stuff. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think this this was enough for now. <laughs> this was a fun one. It, it, yeah, no, this was this was a delight. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us and share so many different stories like it was wonderful my pleasure well if it becomes super popular I, i'd come back this oh, was yeah. fun yeah thank you so much yeah we have to turn it into a drinking game next time though <laughs> oh okay. yeah yeah we could do that sure I, I can bust out some vodka or something why not sounds great mm-hmm. well speaking of drinking i think i'm going to have a couple of shots before i start cleaning up all this glass because i don't like to do that oh, with man. a steady hand Okay. All right. Sounds nice good. talking to you. <laughs> Thank you so much again. We really appreciate it. Yeah. All right, guys. Have a great uh, what day is today? Sunday. Sunday. Yeah. Have a great week. Bye. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye bye. No.